Welcome back to our Work Matters series. Many times when we think about what defines work, we might think about a paycheck, an employer, and an office or a workplace. But if we think about biblically, when God first gave work, none of those things were really involved. And so this morning, we want to take a look at a different kind of work, uh, and that is work in the home. And so we're here with Sandra Libby, and just in full disclosure, we've met before. <laughs> um, I was three, and you were born. Born, uh, yeah. <laughs> so Sandra is my sister, and uh, she goes to Mount Hope, uh, but... Uh, probably more than that, the reason she's here today is because she is a homeschool mom and takes care of her family and her children. But that wasn't uh, always the case that you were a homeschool mom. You were no. teaching, you were in the classroom. So uh, maybe that's where we should start. How did you make the decision to leave the classroom, leave teaching other people's mm -hmm. kids, uh, to be home and spend the time teaching your own children, of which you have Five. Five. That you might last count. Last yeah. count. <laughs> yep. Yes. Um, honestly, it came down to logistics. Really, it was we got to a point where our oldest was ready for kindergarten and logistically where we lived in regards to the school for him to go to, we said, let's just try this. That's how we started off the whole. But as we got into it within the first year, the second year, we saw the freedom to, you know, travel, to teach the kids what we wanted to teach them, to do it on our timetable. And so we just have kept going. Um, so in the midst of your day, we're talking about faith and work. Right. This is your work. Where do you see God in the midst of that? Or maybe, and also where is it other places where it's hard to see God mm. in the midst of, of your work that he, God's given you? Yeah. The verse that keeps coming to me is Colossians 3.23, which I know you talked about a couple of weeks ago as, you know, whatever you do, work wholeheartedly as for working for the Lord and not for men. And leaving the workplace and leaving that and coming home, you know, ultimately I don't have a, a, a boss per se. We all have one boss, but I don't have somebody telling me teach this. And, you know, we have guidelines of course from the state, but I have to really rely on God. So really my, my daily assignments and my marching orders, like they have to come from him. I would say the, the times where it's hard to see him honestly is you know, when you're in a job and you're at an office and you see the fruits of your labor sometimes, sometimes at the end of the day, the end of a quarter, the end of a year, whatever that looks like, you can see the fruits of your labor. I don't think that's always the case when you're home and you're toiling day in and day out. As mine are getting older, you see these little glimpses that you go, ah, oh, there's some fruit, <laughs> like all that toiling, all those years and all that on your knees and prayer for them. And, and that's where I think I see, um, it's hard to see God. Um, but then again, I'm reminded of that dependence on him and not on myself. So is it, we've been talking about work as worship. Mm -hmm. um, is it easy for you to see the work that you're doing at home as worship to God? I think at first it was probably more difficult. Um, like what, it, you know, cleaning up spills and changing one more diaper. And, you know, is this person really getting their multiplication facts? Like, is this even, does this even matter? Um, but I would definitely say the longer we've, I've been home and the longer I've just allowed the Holy Spirit to work through me, um, I've been able to see those in other places. I mean, 
and in more practical terms, uh, there's been times where you're folding the umpteenth load of laundry and moms, when your kids are ready, teach them to do their own laundry because it's a game changer. But when you are and they're little and you're in the midst of it and you're folding laundry and I, I heard someone say, you know, when you're folding that laundry, pray over that child or pray over your spouse while you're, you know, and it has, had made the task and the mundane that much like, this is my worship. Wow. This is my job. This is what God's called me to do. So oftentimes I, I started out the video by saying, you know, work is often associated with a paycheck. Uh, I don't think. You're, you're getting a pay. I don't think, Not that I know of. <laughs> no, Not that I know no, let's of. Pay that. Yeah. So has that been, you know, you, what you do is work, yeah. but because there's not the paycheck, the employer, the office, mm -hmm. you're not leaving the house to go someplace. Mm -hmm. uh, is it, has that been a challenge at times to maybe not for you to see it as work, but maybe how other people mm -hmm. see it or perceive it? Has that been something that you had to kind of work through. I, I had a funny story when one of my children, I was washing dishes in the sink again for the upteen time for that day. And the child just came beside me and said, um, do you make like any money <laughs> like at all? Um, I mean, after I had to chuckle to myself and just answered, no, no, I, I don't. I do all of this out of love for you. <laughs> all of this for free. You know, but it kind of just made me think like, no, I don't, I don't get paid, <laughs> but this, this is my work. This is my worship. And I think sometimes it's hard because you, you know, you, you went from two incomes to one and that takes sacrifice and you see your husband working so hard, but you see also the rewards of you being able to be there. So anything else just in the intersection of your faith and work at home that you would, that you would want to share or what maybe is maybe your greatest joy in doing mm. this work that, um, that you hang on to? I do look forward to the reward of, you know, I think of third, third John four, no greater joy than my children are walking in the truth. And I think the only other thing I would, I would want to share is I never stopped using the skills and the talents and the gifts that God had given me when I decided to stay home full time. Sometimes when I, I mean, when I'm feeling a little sassy on those doctor forms, I might actually fill out instead of homemaker, I might put domestic engineer. Like I just <laughs> like to, you know, like sometimes you just like to, you know, it's, it's more than just homemaking, but honestly, that is what I'm doing. You know, just creating a home, creating an atmosphere, creating a place for my family, a safe place to land, a place where we can talk about all kinds of things and learn things together. And I just think it's important to know that your skills are being used continually, even when you are home. And did I used to get offended? Yeah, probably mm. when people are like, oh, you stay home with your mm. kids. But honestly, now, like, it's such, it's such a great and high calling that I don't, I don't get offended anymore. Well, thanks, Sandra. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for giving us a peek into how your work matters. Yeah. And we're grateful for that. It's been a joy as we come to this last week of the series to be able to kind of create these videos and get a glimpse into people's workplaces and uh, where the work is. I wish we could have shared more. Maybe we will tell some more stories in the future, be able to do that. But that's been a real joy to be able to see that uh, and see the work in the place where people's faith and work intersects. 
Um, this is the last Sunday message in our series, but there's one more aspect to our Work Matters um, message series that we want to invite you to. Thursday night at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a Zoom uh, that you can join. We encourage you, we, I'd invite you, and I'd ask you if, uh, for you to join us in that Work Matters Zoom. So 7 o'clock, we'll be done by 8 o'clock, it'll be less than an hour. But what we'd like to do is be able to connect some people, connect you with each other, uh, depending on the sector you're in. Maybe you're in science or biotech or technology or IT or education, uh, wherever you might be, we want to try and make some connections. We'll, we'll, we're going to send you to some breakout rooms as a part of this call, try and connect some people. And we will have a general room. Um, where every, you might say, I don't fit any of those categories. I, I bet I'm the only one that does this at Mount Hope. And maybe you are, but probably not. But maybe you are. Uh, but we will have a general room where we'll kind of talk about work and faith, have a couple discussion questions, give you a chance to talk with each other, and then just pray for each other when it comes to our faith and our work. So you can just go to the Mount Hope website and click on that tab on Thursday night at 7 and if you're able to join us, we'd love for you to join us to be a part of that uh, on Thursday for Work Matters. All right, if you have your Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. That's where we're going to be today. Jeremiah chapter 29 is where we'll be today as we get into this last. We're going to go to three different passages of Scripture, but that's where we're going to start. And I, I, again, want to thank Sandra for sharing on that video. I have, uh, for one, I have never, this may shock you, but I have never been a stay-at-home mom. Um, but if I was a stay-at-home mom, I have to imagine that for Sandra and for those of you that may be staying home with your kids, there have to be days where you're like, just let them get on a bus. Just let them get on a bus and let me go back to sleep and let's get on with the day, right? Um, there have to be days like that because I know there have to be days like that because for all of us, we have days when we're asking the question, why do I want to get out of bed today? Am I the only one that has that day? Anyone else have those days? You wake up and you're like, why get out of bed? Why, why get out of bed? Why, I just want to stay here. It's comfy, it's warm, and I don't know, give me a reason to get out of this bed today. I want to talk about that question this morning. Why work? Why work? What's the motivation for it? Why get out of bed in the morning? There's an old song, uh, Dolly Parton, real old song, working nine to five. If you remember that song, she started out, tumble out of bed, and I stumble in the kitchen, pour myself a cup of, anyone remember? Ambition. ambition. Pour myself a cup of ambition. And sometimes, maybe that's what, I mean, I got a hard time going without my coffee. Maybe it's coffee, maybe it's tea, maybe it's an energy drink, maybe it's a smoothie. I don't know what it is, but something you're like, I got to get something to get me going today. I need something motivating. I need something to get me out of bed and get going. Uh, maybe you've got something that you keep in front of you, you know, that you, keeps you motivated to, to, to going. You're like, that's the reason I'm getting out. I was, I was flipping through this week the, the Boston Business Journal, and I was looking at the Power 50 Movement Makers in Boston, the 50 biggest movement makers in Boston, according to Boston Business Journal. And I thought, well, maybe that's some of your reasons. Maybe you like, I want to make a list like that. That's, that's my motivation for getting out of bed in the morning. There's, there's things in here, the top 10 uh, best buildings that have been built in Boston. 
Maybe that's your motivation. Maybe you're an architect. I want to build one of the best buildings. I want to get in a paper like that. There's another list in here. Top 25 paid athletes in Boston. Maybe that's your list you want to get on. I don't know what it is, but I do know that a lot of us have trouble saying, okay, why am I doing this? Why am I getting out of bed? What's my motivation? This morning I want to give you four biblical reasons as we close out this series. Why, why work? What's your motivation? What does God say about that? Maybe you've been, from the beginning of this series, maybe that's been your question. Okay, work is worship, work is this, work. But I just don't want to do it sometimes. So why do it? We're going to look at that. I'm going to give you three passages and four reasons for why work. The first one is found in Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 11. And the reason is this. The first reason is to work for good. Work for good. As we get into this passage, that's what Jeremiah is going to say. Let me give you a little context of this passage of what's going on. Let me show you where we're landing in Scripture if you're not familiar with the story of Scripture. So uh, in this passage, so in, in Scripture you've got God choosing the Jewish people, the people of Israel, and he chooses them to share his message of who he is with the world. He wants these people and his relationship with them to show the rest of the world who he is and, and how he acts and so he does this through the relationship with this nation of Israel. There are times when Israel disobeyed God, in fact, very often. And at times like that, he would discipline them and chastise them. And one way that that would happen for a nation is by sending the entire nation into exile or having a foreign nation come in and oppress them, take over for a while. God kind of lets them see, hey, you don't like paying attention to me? Here's another nation. See how you like paying attention to them. It's kind of like that for a while, that God lets them see what it's like when he removes himself from the situation in some way. And so that's what's happening when we come to the book of Jeremiah, that God has allowed his, this nation to enter into a period of chastisement and discipline. He's allowed a nation called Babylon to come in and to take over Jerusalem and his nation. And here's what Babylon would do when they would come in and take over a nation. They would come into a city like Jerusalem, and they would take the best and the brightest and the smartest people, and they would remove them from that city and take them back to Babylon. And they would basically do a brain drain for, for the city. And they would take them back to Babylon, and they'd want to acclimate them and assimilate them into Babylonian culture. That was the way of kind of taking over and then they'd leave some people there in the city to kind of take care of things, pay some oppressive taxes, um, and, and there would still be some people that would be left there. And that's how Babylon would take over a nation. And they did that to many nations in this time, and they did it to Israel and to Jerusalem. So in that time, God had people that he would use to speak to his people, and they were called prophets. And the prophet would speak to the people on behalf of God and sometimes speak to God on behalf of the people. And that's who Jeremiah was. Jeremiah was left in Jerusalem. I don't know if that means he wasn't the best and the brightest, um, but he was left in Jerusalem and wasn't taken away into exile. But God would use him to give messages to his people. And so you can imagine. Imagine if, if you were one of these people that was taken away from your home city. And you were taken away, and you're there, and you're there, you know, with maybe with some people you know, maybe with some family, maybe not. And you're in this foreign place, and you're wondering, what do we do. 
And there's actually some false prophets that rise up, and they tell the people what they would, might want to hear in a situation like that. They say, hey, don't worry about it. This isn't God's plan for you. You're not going to be here very long. Sooner, two years at the most, they say, you're going to be back in Jerusalem in your house. Just grin and bear it. Don't worry about it. To which Jeremiah writes a letter from Jerusalem to the exiles. And this is what he says, that God says, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Just, okay, just think about it. Just stop there for a second. Look at what he's telling them. If you're only going to be someplace in a short time, you don't build a house. You're okay. You can live in a tent. Like he's like, you build a house. You don't plant a garden unless you're going to be around when the harvest comes about. So he's saying, you're, you know, have some permanence. You're going to be there. So he says, build these, build these houses, plant gardens. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. And then listen to verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. A lot of us may know that last verse, verse 11, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. That's a pretty popular verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It's a great coffee cup verse. It's a great verse to hang in your house in a framed. Like, like I love the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11. We should not forget quickly the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11. We should also not forget quickly the context that it comes to us in. Because God says, I've got plans to prosper you, and I've got plans to give you a hope and a future, but it's going to be a while. In fact, you're not just going to be there two years. You're going to be there 70 years. So most of you are going to die there in Babylon. It's going to be your sons, your daughters, your grandkids that are going to come out to Jerusalem, that are going to know the hope and the future that I'm promising to you. So he says, you're going to be there a while. You're going to be there a while. And he also says in this passage, which I think is really interesting, I am the God who sent you there. Those are two things they probably didn't want to hear. That God sent them into this place and that they're going to be there for a while. And I wonder if maybe sometimes those are two things you don't want to hear about your workplace. That God sent you there and you're going to be there for a while. 
And maybe you're in a great workplace and a great situation and you love it, but there's got to be days <laughs> when you're like, God, why am I here? What am I doing here? And I want you to know this morning that I believe God sent you there. And you may not be there forever, but you're there for now. And I believe the God who is sovereign over all the world and all the earth is sovereign over your life, and he placed you there for a reason and for a time. And you may be there for a while. And so what are you supposed to do? Well, what if you inserted your workplace into verse 7? But seek the welfare of, insert your company there, where I have sent you, maybe it feels like exile, into exile, and pray to the Lord on its, insert your company here, behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. As hard as it might be at times for you maybe to pray for your boss or your company or people there, imagine these exiles that were sent into Babylon. And God said, pray for them. Pray for this country. Pray for, the, pray for them. Pray that they will be blessed. Seek their welfare. I think the obstacle that they faced in Jeremiah's day was despair. And they didn't want to get out of bed because this stinks and this is hard. And God says, get out of bed, go to work, plant some gardens, build some houses, pray for the city. Why? Because when it prospers, you'll prosper. Do some good for the city that you are in. Even though it's not your home. Even though it's not where you ultimately are going to end up. It's not your ultimate destination. It's not the place you want to be. It's not the place you'll be in the long run. It's not the place your kids and grandkids. It's not the fulfillment of God's promise. Even though that's true, do good while you're there. Do good while you're there. Plant gardens, build houses, have families, pray for the welfare and prosperity of the place where I have sent you. And in your workplace, you are called to be there and to do good and to love your neighbor that's there. Sometimes, you know, it's, just, it's the person beside you and showing the love of God to them. Sometimes it's the work that you're actually doing and how does the work that you do serve and, and the community you're in and loving your neighbor. I mean, maybe you're an Uber driver and you just drive someone to work and you're loving your neighbor by getting them to work. How does the work that you do Share and love your neighbor. Where does that fall when you're looking for a job as a data point? Okay, you get your salary, your compensation, your benefits, your vacation time. What about, do you ever ask the question, how does this serve my neighbor? How does this job show love to my neighbor? How does it do good for the world around me? I think we might consider that as a part of the jobs that we choose and how we choose them. To think about that, that we'd ask the Lord that. I have a friend who's a pastor, and I, I think sometimes we can lose sight of this. I have a friend who's a pastor, and I was talking to him recently. He pastors a, a church not too far from here, and his church has an awesome thrift shop. I don't know how many, any thrifters here? Anybody love thrifting? I hear that's a thing. Yes. A of, I hear it's a thing with like young people, like teenagers are big thrifters. Uh, so he's got this awesome, thr I mean an awesome, thr I mean a thrift shop that's so good that national news organizations have covered it and said this is one of like the best thrift stores we can find in the country. And he was on Good Morning America with his, with, with his thrift store. 
And then he's got also, he's got a bookstore. He's got a bookshop, a used bookshop that his, his church started. And as he started this bookshop, he, he staffs it mostly with, um, with young people who are special needs, are various needs, and, and, and have challenges in their life. And they, they're the ones that work at the bookstore. And, and I was just talking to him recently, and I was saying, I was saying, Phil, man, I love what you're doing there. I love the work that you do. I, I think this is awesome what you guys have done and your, what you're doing in your community. And his, his, his response kind of surprised me. He said, he said, Rick, I'm, you know, I appreciate you saying that. He said, to be honest, that's not the answer I get from a lot of pastors. He said, I talk to a lot of pastors. They don't understand why we would do what we're doing. They don't understand why, why, why we as a church would be starting a thrift store or, or a bookshop and, and they don't quite get it. And I, I thought about that, and I thought, well, the only reason I could think that would be the case is if you lose sight of something like Jeremiah 29, where God says, yeah, this isn't your home. No, you're going to eventually be someplace else that's going to be better, that's going to be with me, that's going to be forever. Like, we know that. Jesus is coming again sometime, and that's our hope that we have. But you're here for a while, and do good to the place where I have sent you. And do good in the, in, to the people and love the neighbors of the people I have sent you around. So one of the reasons that you get out of bed in the morning is just to do good in the work that God has given you. To be loving to the people around you and serve them in the way that you can. Second and third reason to do good is this. Work to take care of your needs and the respective outsiders. Second and third reasons to get out of bed in the morning. To take care of your needs and for the respect of outsiders. Maybe the take care of your needs, that might be the easiest one for us, right? Like, okay, that's it. I knew that. You didn't need to come to church to hear that, right? I got to pay my bills. It's, you know, I got bills to pay. And so go to work because you got bills to pay. It's in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Here's what Paul writes. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we have told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. And so Paul, writing to this third church in Thessalonica, we don't quite know why they weren't working. This multiple theories on it, but what we can tell is there were some Christians in the church that were basically saying, hey, there's plenty of wealthy people that'll take care of me. And so even though they could work, they weren't working. And Paul says, no, 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 don't, don't, don't do this. This is, this is not the way you're supposed to be. And he says, make it your ambition. We don't talk a lot about ambition when it comes to following Jesus. I think maybe ambition is where we think, oh, Christians don't have it. What is, what is ambition? Is that something worldly? And Paul says, make it your ambition. Make it your goal. Make it your aim. That you would live a quiet life, work with your hands, and mind your own business. Really interesting. I mean, interesting for one, because Paul didn't live a quiet life. Paul was in blow into cities, and he would blow the place up. I mean, he, he leaves cities get, literally getting stoned, half dead. Like, he doesn't live a quiet life. But it's interesting to me that Paul says, you know what? That's my calling. You got to live in this place. 
you got to live beside these people. And you've got to win them to Christ with your winsome life. And you've got to win them to Christ and you've got to share the gospel by the way that you live and living beside them. And so he says, make it your ambition, make it your goal that nothing in your life is going to get in the way of you being able to share the gospel with them. So mind your own business, work with your hands and live your quiet life. We talked in the first week about this this trend of quiet quitting. Paul is saying you should be quiet working. You You should be going about your work. This should be your ambition to do good work. And one of the reasons is so that you don't have to be dependent on others. And that isn't to say there aren't people at times that are dependent and need to be dependent. No, that's what we should be available for. When somebody needs help and needs to be dependent and can't work, then the church and and, and others around should gather around and help that person. But the way you can do that is because the people that can work do work. Paul says, so if you can work, go to work. And one of the reasons you get out of bed in the morning is plain and simple because you got to pay the bills. So work so you don't have to depend on others. But then there's another really important reason in here that we may not think about work so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. So that your daily life might win the respect of outsiders. And maybe this is one that we don't always think about very much. But the way that you work and how you work, Paul says, ought to be able to be in such a way that people look at you and people say something's different. People look at the excellent work that you do and they can respect it. And you win not simply a relationship or respect. What you win is a hearing. What you win is curiosity. What you win is a conversation when you get that respect of outsiders. What what Paul, I think, is describing here is a word, a phrase that I love that was coined, at least the first I heard it was by James Davidson Hunter, who is a sociologist at the University of Virginia. And he's a Christian and, and a sociologist, and he wrote this book called Change the World. And he coined the phrase, he said that what Christians are supposed to be is a faithful presence. And I love that term, faithful presence. Because both those words are important. You are to be present. Like, you got to show up. Like, be there. Like, like be present. Be in the place. You need to, as we're talking about Advent, you need to incarnate into a locale just like Jesus did here on earth. The incarnation, he came, he left heaven to come to the stable and the sin and the dirty place that is earth. And he came here, incarnated himself. That's what we remember. That was the ultimate expression of love of God, that he would come down here, live among us, and go to a cross, that the incarnation is a gift. And when you and I follow Jesus, one of the things you and I are called to do is you are called to incarnate the presence of God into the place where God has sent you. That people are to be, see what it would be like if Jesus was working in your workplace if he were there because you're there. That you are to incarnate God in that place. You're to be a faithful presence in that place. What's that look like? Um, let, me, let me share with you one story that I read. And one of the best books I read in preparing for this series was Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor. Uh, We recommended it, I think, in one of our loop communications to you. Uh, But Tim Keller, Every Good Endeavor, he tells this story 
about uh, a young lady who came to his church in New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. He came to the, she came to the church one day. Well, she was coming several days, and, but she would leave real quick. And he noticed that she would come and then leave real quick. So one, one day he caught her before she was able to leave church and to ask her a little bit of her story. And so uh, this is the response that uh, Tim Keller got. So she told me she was exploring Christianity. She didn't believe in it at that point, but she found a lot of it interesting. I asked her how she had found Redeemer, and she told me this story. She worked for a company in Manhattan, and not long after starting there, she made a big mistake that she thought would cost her the job. But her boss went into his superior and took complete responsibility for what she had done. As a result, he lost some of his reputation and ability to maneuver within the, within the organization. She was amazed at what he had done and went in to thank him. She told him that she had often seen supervisors take credit for what she had accomplished, but she had never seen a supervisor take the blame for something she had done wrong. She wanted to know what made him different. He was very modest and deflected her questions, but she was insistent, and finally he told her, I am a Christian. That means, among other things, that God accepts me because Jesus Christ took the blame for the things I have done wrong. He did that on the cross. That is why I have the desire and sometimes the ability to take the blame for others. She stared at him for a long moment and asked, where do you go to church? He suggested she go to Redeemer, and so she did. His character had been shaped by his experience of grace in the gospel, and it made his behavior as a manager attractive and strikingly different from others. Win the respect of the outsiders. That the way that you work ought to incarnate the gospel into the place that you work. That the way that you care for people and love people and treat people ought to incarnate the gospel into that place. We serve a God who disadvantaged himself so that you and I could be advantaged. Right? We serve a God who came down from heaven and came down and gave his life on a cross, as Justin just talked about, so that we could receive life. So if we're going to follow that God and we're going to follow that God into the workplace, then we got to follow that same model. Are you willing to disadvantage yourself so that someone else might be advantaged? Or are you just willing to step on someone so that you can get ahead because that's the way business is done? And that's the way everyone else does it. Paul says, live your life in this way so that you might win the respect of outsiders. So that you might gain this. And so that by it, I think what goes unsaid in these verses, but I'm sure is Paul's end game. You win a hearing for the gospel. You win a hearing for the message of God in their lives. So we get out of bed in the morning to do good. We get out of bed in the morning so we're not dependent on others to pay the bills. We get out of bed in the morning to win the respect of those that we work around outside us. Finally, the fourth reason, get out of bed in the morning and work for the well done of God. And that's the big one. That's the ultimate one. Work for the well done. 
Matthew chapter 25, I don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to read it for you. Some of you are familiar with this parable, the story of Jesus. But if you're not, here's what Jesus says about uh, the things that we have been given and how we're to use them. He says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave his five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. A talent was a form of money at that time. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made you five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seeds. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A couple observations here. Everyone's given something, but we're not all given the same thing. You may have been given five talents, resources, time, ability, you may be given two. Maybe you were given one. Everyone's given something, but we're not all given the same thing. But we're all expected to steward what God has placed in our hands for his purposes. The one with the five talent who gained five more and the one with the two that gained two more got the same response from the master. Exact same. Well done, good and faithful servant. You might look at what's in your hand and you think, well, they've got so much more and they're doing so much more and they're accomplishing so much more. That's not how God sees it. What are you doing with what he gave you? Because the response at the end is the same. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. If you are faithful with God, what God has placed in your hands and what to do with it. But you're expected to do something with it. The one who had the one buried it and, and, and didn't use it at all for God, didn't invest it, didn't, didn't utilize it for the purposes of God, the purpose of his master. He says, you don't get it. You don't get the heart of the father. You don't get the heart of the master at all. 
Why do you get out of bed in the morning? <laughs> when it's dark out, when it's cold, <laughs> when you don't feel like going about it, why do it? Because you and I one day are working to hear those words from God himself. Not for the paycheck at the end of the week or for the great job from the boss. Those are great. Or the people beside you who see you do excellent work. That's wonderful. But in the end, for a Christian, for someone who follows the Lord, for someone who loves God, what you're ultimately working for is at the end of it all, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. And so those days when you're toiling at home, if that's your, if that's your place, and you don't get the paycheck, and you get the, you know, I love that question. You don't make any money at all? <laughs> no, that's not what I'm working for. I'm working for the well done. I'm working for the well done. That what I have and what God has put in my hands, that I will steward it for his work and for his glory. This is what Christ, you, you, wonder, you wonder if there's a place in scripture that talks about why did Jesus get out of bed every day? Sounds a little crude when I put it that way, but it's clear in Scripture. Why did Jesus get out of bed every day to work? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. And here's what it says. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So for the joy set before you of hearing your father say, well done, good and faithful servant, that you and I are called to endure hard days at work, Trudgery sometimes, maybe not getting the recognition you deserve or you should get, maybe being passed over for the promotion, maybe not getting that extra thing that you, that, that you think you should get and that someone else got, whatever it is. How do you get up the next morning for work? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the obedience to his father, for doing the work of the father, he endured the cross. For the well done from God, you endure what's before you. As we close this morning, I ask you to take out, did you get that piece of paper on the way in this morning? Somebody give you a piece of paper. If you, if you didn't get one, raise your hand and I'll trust that someone will bring you one. Um, that maybe, hopefully that's not too much trust on my part. You should have got a prayer on your way in. And that prayer comes out of this book, Every Moment Holy. And I want to close this message and I want to close this series with this prayer. Because I want to do this. Here's what I want you to do. As I'm reading this prayer, I want you to think about your week that's coming up. In fact, right now, just take a moment before I start reading it, close your eyes, or if you want, <laughs> flip open your calendar on your phone if that's more helpful. I want you to think about your week that's coming up. Maybe for some of you, that starts this afternoon. Maybe you're going to work tonight. 
Maybe for many of you it starts tomorrow morning. You got it? What, do you, what does it look like? Who are the people that you're going to meet with? What are the names on your calendar? What are the meetings? What are the classes? What are the difficult conversations? What is the work that you have to do? I want you to think about that because maybe the Holy Spirit is going to identify someone or some meeting or something in your mind that in this poem, there'll be a, uh, this poem, I say poem, prayer. Maybe it's poetic too. It's a prayer. In this prayer that you'll want to underline or circle and say, here's something God's asking me to act on this week. Here's something God is asking me to take action on in my workplace this week. And maybe there's a name you're going to write beside it because there's something God would have you to do. I want you to think about that. Let me read this prayer. A liturgy for one who is employed. O Christ, who supplies my every need, I praise you for all provisions and for the means by which they are provided. For my current employment in this season of life, I give you thanks. By it, may I meet my own needs and contribute to the needs of others. Let me work and serve in this position with mindfulness, creativity, and kindness. Loving you well by loving all whom I encounter here. Jesus, be my ever, be ever present as mediator between me and my employer, between me and my supervisors and co-workers, and in all my dealings with others in this work, reminding me that my treatment of them is the strongest evidence of my affection for you. Grant me, therefore, the patience to listen to them, the humility to learn from them, the compassion to consider their needs as my own, and the grace to wear well in this place the name of my Lord, remembering that I arrive here each day as an emissary of your kingdom. Let me be an asset to my employer and superiors working for their flourishing without resentment. Let me be a support to my peers contributing to their advancement without jealousy. Let me be an encouragement to any I train or lead, affirming and equipping them without disdain. May the days of my employment here be meaningful. Use this chapter in my life to accomplish your ends, whatever they may be. May my presence here daily suggest your presence here. And may the outworking of the gospel be always evident in this my work, that my service as an employee might be ever reckoned and received as service first rendered unto you, O Christ. Amen. And maybe there's something in this prayer where you would circle it and you would say, you know what, in what I have going this week, I believe God is speaking to me. God wants me to apply this to my life. And let me say this final thing just before the team leads us in this closing song. Because I can't close a service on the word work without making this important clarification. What we're talking about when it comes to your work matters 
is the outflow of your relationship with God. It is, the, it is the produce. It is the product. It is the outflow of a person who is in connection with God through Jesus Christ. And here's why I think it's important that I clarify that, because I do not want you to leave here thinking that I am saying that you can ever work your way into God's favor. The work you do matters, and it's important, but it is not what earns God's pleasure or, or, or salvation or love for you. That only comes from the work that Christ did for you, the work that Jesus did on the cross. It's that work that Jesus did reconciling us to God the Father through faith and trust in him and in his sacrifice on the cross that makes any of our work meaningful, that gives our work any internal significance. So when we talk about your work mattering, it's as a result of being connected to God, not what gives you the connection to God. What gives us our connection to God is falling on the grace and mercy of him. And then when we do that, he brings meaning to all the work that we do. And he brings eternal significance to that work. And so if you've never taken the time to put your faith and trust in him, I would encourage you, before, we, before you think about this, before you think about working for good and working to provide and, and working so that others respect your work, all that, the first thing comes is by accepting the work that God has done for you. And accepting the forgiveness for your sins in your life and receiving Jesus into your heart. And when you do that, he gives you a life and joy and puts his spirit within you to then go about the work he's called you to do. Lord, help us to be a people. Lord, help us to be a people that understand that, Lord, we could never work our way into your presence or your favor, but that you love us so much that you sent Jesus that you might make not only our lives, but even our work have significance and matter. Not simply in a short life here, but actually have eternal significance. And may we all work for that well done, good and faithful servant that you offer to us through Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and we'll close out and worship together.